0: Thank you Michelle for that warm welcome and introduction. I hope you guys are doing well today. Um, It is a little, there's a little chilly in here. Uh, We're having some, some heating issues so we're we're sorry about that. We hope to have these things uh, addressed by next week and so if you need to snuggle up with somebody with their permission, of course, (laughs) go ahead and feel free to do that. Uh, Oh like Michelle said, uh, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here and I want to Welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the very first time today. So glad to have you here with us. Also welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website, or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Hey, before I begin with a message, this uh, morning, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, we stood together in prayer for the, uh, uh, the many refugees that... Uh, have been displaced, those that are fleeing from their country. There's some things going on in our country right now with regard to legislation that I felt that I needed to address. What I also said was that what we would do, uh, we would would prayerfully consider what we could do uh, as a church in order to help those who are struggling, those who need to find placement, and those who are fleeing terrible situations in their home. And so, as promised, on the back table back there, you'll find a sheet that says Refugee Organizations in Chicagoland, and India uh, did some research over the last couple of weeks, and she put together a list, a short list, of refugee organizations, and some of you have expressed interest in, you know, how do you help, how do you partner. I know, I was thinking about how could we help, not just as a church, but as, as a family here, and so... What I also want to mention, especially as I read some news this week, is that you know, the refugee crisis is much, much larger than what uh, we see uh, on television and on the news. There are refugees all over the world looking for safe places. I just learned this week of the refugee crisis in Sudan, where millions of refugees are fleeing all sorts of um, genocide, mass rapes, and all sorts of brutality and flooding actually over the southern border into northern Uganda. This is a huge refugee crisis, and this is happening all over the world. So what I'm asking you to do is join me in adding the refugees, this nameless, faceless people to your prayer list and asking what God would have you and your family do um, in order to help this out. And what we want to do as a church is continue to figure out ways that we as a church can figure out how we can partner And alleviate the burden and help where we can. But for those of you who are eager to look into some things, maybe you want to donate and help out, there's a list on the back table, and you hear more from us regarding what we can do uh, to help those who are refugees. Well, I have the privilege this morning of continuing a sermon series that we started several weeks ago, and it's a sermon series that we're simply calling Devoted. Devoted, as we've said week after week, is a great word to describe our lives as Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ. Devoted, we've defined it, uh, devoted to be to give a large part or all of oneself, one's time, energy, and effort to something or to someone. That's what devotion is. We've said also that what devotion looks like is love. It looks like loyalty. It looks like enthusiasm for a person, an activity, or... A cause. And as I begin to look uh, back over the, the subjects that we've covered and look at scripture, particularly as I preach through this week after week, what I'm discovering is that all the things that we're supposed to be devoted to, all the things that God asks us to lean into, are things that are rather unnatural. In other words, they're not necessarily things that we would naturally lean to. Being a part of fallen humanity, people who are naturally sinful, naturally selfish, when you look at the list of things that God calls us to lean into, the things that God has called us to do, and not just do, but be excited about doing, have some enthusiasm about doing, many of them, if not all of them, are things that are rather unnatural. We begin this series by talking about how in order to devote ourselves to the right things, we have to undevote ourselves to the wrong things. And we didn't get devoted to the wrong things accidentally. We, we leaned into those things because they were pleasurable to us. They, they met a felt need in our life, and so God is asking us to unhook from those things. We, we talked about devoting yourself to healthy Christian community and developing a healthy inner life, doing the hard work of working on your soul. We talked about devoting yourself to the Word of God, to His truth. Uh, Talked about devoting yourself to accountability, inviting somebody else into your life to ask the hard questions and be a reflective mirror for you. And last week we talked about devoting yourself to the hustle or devoting yourself to serving others, getting under others and living the servant life in a way that our creator would find acceptable. And today I'm going to continue this series by focusing on another very challenging very difficult area of our life. I want to talk about our money. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about our money. I want to talk about stewardship. Stewardship. And I'm simply calling this message this morning devoted to not just stewardship, but devoted to good stewardship. Devoted to good stewardship. Now, stewardship, as you'll learn, is is a rather broad subject. But today I want to talk about financial stewardship because you know what? You know, you go to a good church, you can, you know, really cover a lot of ground in terms of Christian curriculum. You can talk about everything from sexuality. You can talk about everything from government, the whole deal. But what seems sometimes to be suspiciously absent from the Christian curriculum? is anything that has anything to do with with our money. Now, if a church is with it, they're they're talking about giving. They're talking about tithing on all those sorts of things. But considering how many people are struggling in their finances, considering how many people are not, you know, living the abundant life, not because they're terrible people, not because they're particularly sinful, not because they're stupid, but simply because they haven't, you know, got their money in order. They haven't figured out how to be a good steward of their money. And you can go to some churches and you can sit there for years and years and not hear one sermon on how to be a good steward with your money. You can go for years and years and and not have the preacher challenge you one time uh, what you're doing with your money and whether or not that huge piece of your life is keeping you from living the abundant life. Or if you were hoping to escape this very important subject then you've come on the wrong Sunday and you've come to the wrong church. No, we, we, we feel like God wants us to live the abundant life. We feel like we're supposed to thrive and not just survive. And that doesn't necessarily just come from asking God for a miracle. Lord, open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing. Uh, um, a lot of that has to do with the choices that we make. A lot of that has to do with this, the way we steward what God has has given us, right? And so I don't know about you, but I think that we're supposed to live the abundant life. And I think that so much of the abundant life is a life that God blesses, and it's something that we have to learn to do, something that we have to learn to lean into and learn to make good decisions. And so I want to talk about what it means to be devoted to good stewardship, if you can get this in line. If you can get on God's page with regard to your money and how you use it, I think it'll be a game changer for many, many of you. We got to talk to a room full of good people who, by all accounts, should be living the abundant life were it not for just, you know, this particular area, and hopefully we can bring some freedom to that today. I want to look at a passage of Scripture Just begin this morning in Matthew chapter 25. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? Matthew chapter 25, Some familiar passage to some of you. It's one of our favorites around here, uh, and so we're going to read there this morning. By the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your row. Feel free to take one of those Bibles if you don't have one uh, as a gift from us to you. We'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screens. Feel free to follow along in your tablets or on your phone if you'd like. Matthew 25, while you get that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here and worship you. Father, I am grateful for the uh, opportunity to stand and preach. This is not something that I feel entitled to. This is something that I just feel really blessed that I get to do this, that you would trust me with your word and trust me with your people. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would put power on these words that you've given given me to speak this morning. I pray, Father, that you would cut all the way to our hearts. Lord, we give you permission to offend us this morning. We give you permission, Father, to, to show us perhaps an unflattering image as we look in the reflection of your word today and father we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in christ but if we get caught today if we get offended today it's your way of helping move us to a place where we're living the abundant life to experience you in a way uh, that that makes sense and so father i pray put power on these words that you've given me to speak move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through we ask all these things in jesus name and all god's people said "Amen." Devoted to good stewardship, looking at Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start at verse 14. And so just to set this up, this is one of, the, one of the great parables that Jesus told. And some of you are familiar with parables, others of you are not. A parable is simply a made-up story. It's not a lie, but it's a made-up story that Jesus often used to help us understand a deeper meaning. And so if you've ever heard the story of a boy that cried wolf, that's almost a parable of sorts to help kids understand that, hey, if you lie a lot, nobody's going to believe you when it's actually, you know, a serious situation. That's almost like a parable, a made-up story to help you gain a deeper truth. And so Jesus, one of his greatest teaching methods was using parables. He liked to tell stories. He engaged his audiences and his disciples by telling stories. And this is one such parable. We start at verse 14. Jesus says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He Gave five five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And the the man knew who could handle what. then he left on his trip. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Let's go party. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing... Even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Really interesting story. Gripping story. And I don't think it's really difficult in light of what we're talking about today to see where I'm going with this. Now typically when I read a passage that long, I camp out in it. I unpack it. That's my normal method. But that's not... the the, the tact that I'm going to take today. I just want to use this passage this morning as a springboard into giving us some wisdom uh, into how we're supposed to steward our money God's way. And so this passage opens by uh, Jesus saying, the kingdom of God can be understood this way. And whenever I teach on the parables, whenever I teach on the message of Jesus, I often say whenever a passage opens with the kingdom of God can be illustrated this way or the kingdom of God is this way, my urging to you is get to the edge of your seat because Jesus is about to say something that you're going to need to hear. Uh, Give this passage your undivided attention because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, particularly those of us who have come to faith in Jesus who've trusted our lives in him, who's given him the right to rule and reign on the throne of our hearts. Whenever Jesus says the kingdom is like this, get to the edge of your seats because he's going to tell you something that's very useful. It's not just useful, but it's like necessary, such that if you don't understand it, you're likely to get it very, very wrong. He proceeds to tell this story of a man, and that man simply represents God. Some would say he represents Jesus. And the servants represent us man in this story represents God. He's the person with the stuff. He's the master in this story. And the servants, those who have been given things to steward, that represents us. And so this passage tells us that each of these men were given an allotment of bags of silver. Uh, Another version of the scripture says that they were given talents. And basically these talents just basically is the stuff that God has given you to do something with. Almost every week we talk about how we're supposed to be uh, living purpose-driven lives, which gets to to the point that God created us for something. I say often that God didn't just roll the dice with you. He didn't just say, okay, what what are we going to give Diane today? Let's see what we got left in, you know, in the back of the storehouse of heaven. Let's just see what we have left over. Let's just randomly draw it. No, there was purposeful design to your life. God put you here for something, to do something, and somebody needs to hear that today because you feel like your life is a mistake. You feel like God just used the scraps of heaven and put you together and just sort of threw you out and said, hey, just make the best of it. Uh, I'm here to tell you today that God had a purpose and a plan for your life, and what he intended to do by giving you what he's given you is to resource that purpose with the stuff that he's given you. i say that again. God intended to resource his plan and purpose for your life by giving you the things that he's blessed you with. And this is why it's such a disaster for you to scrape things into the cave of your life that God didn't intend for you. Because God is intentional. He's purposeful. And whether he's giving you a lot or a little, or he's giving you something that you value or you you devalue, regardless, what God has given you is specifically for what he put you here for. And so not only does God uh, resource your purpose with the things that he's given you, he adds a measure of his Holy Spirit to be the fuel to get the thing done. And so th- these talents, as we see here, represents the stuff that God has given you in order to do what he's called you to do. And sometimes these talents can be relationships. They can be people Uh, For some of us, it can be gifts, talents, abilities, influence. It can certainly be, and it certainly is, our financial resource, no matter how much or how little it is, it certainly uh, deals with our finances. And so this passage has a broad application. If you will allow me to zoom in on the aspect of financial resource, I think we'll be able to get some place today. And so this passage is all about stewardship of the stuff that God has given us. And so when we look at this in the context of our finances, we really can make some cover some ground in trying to figure out what God wants from us with regard to being good stewards. The way I see it, stewardship has two really important components. The first component is management. The steward you're managing. I say this over and over when I was a young boy. People talked to me all the time about stewardship. Make sure you're a good steward of your time. Make sure you're a good steward of your money. And they kept saying "your," which led me to believe that stewardship meant that I was managing my stuff. But stewardship, in a, in, in a Christian sense, you're managing stuff that doesn't belong to you. And so, not only are you a manager, but one thing you have to understand about management is that management is not ownership. Management. Is not ownership. You're caring and looking after somebody else's stuff. I remember when I was in high school, I had some friends who were managers at various stores. And so I, one place in the Ford City Mall, they had a KFC in a Ford City Mall. And one girl from my high school, she was one of the managers at Fort City. And she was kind of sweet on me. So, you know, whenever I would go, <laughs> hey, what's, hey, you know, she couldn't help it. Anyway... I would order three, you know, three wings, and somehow, you know, I, I didn't know about ten wings, right? And so I just thought that this was the favor of God, this, you know, this is a blessing. Or well, One of my homeboys, they would work at the McDonald's, you get one McDonald's, you, you end up with three in your bag, and so I, what a blessing this is, and so one day my mom said, you know what, that's not their stuff to be given away. I didn't really want to hear that. Oh, but what she was talking about is that they're the managers of that stuff. Now, if the owner gives you something, right? Well, the owner's probably going to wonder where those extra wings went. You know, you get to the register, and the owner's going to probably figure out where these extra sandwiches went. They were managing those things, but, and it wasn't theirs to just sort of be frivolous with. Psalmist tells us in Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 that the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. And we say this a lot around here because until you figure this out, you won't understand the relationship between what you've been given and the giver of those things. You might make the mistake of thinking that it was your effort and your hard work that got you in the place that, you've, that you are. It's your effort and your hard work that, that, that got you to the places where you are, that you deserved what you got. So when we tell you to be a good steward or when we tell you to be generous or we point you to these uh, truths in Scripture, you might say, listen, listen, God had nothing to do with this. I went to school. And God had nothing to do with this. You see, I, 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 I managed my money well. Uh, God has nothing to do with this. I made good decisions. I said, okay, while well, well, you were making good decisions, since you, you, you worked hard and this, that, and the other, were you also around before you, got, before you were born? Did you also decide which country you'd be born in? Did you also determine your family of origin? Did you also determine what color skin you would have and what privileges your ethnicity might afford you? Were you around also working hard, you know, bootstrapping it at that point? We can't talk about refugees unless we talk about the fact that if you were born in the U.S., regardless of your social status, you, I mean, you've hit a jackpot of sorts. And you could have been born in the Sudan, Sierra Leone. You could, be, you could have been born in Syria in Iraq, and some of these war-torn places. And we'll see how much your education and your hard work and your effort puts you ahead of the game. Now, it's one of the great mysteries of life. I don't know why I was born here, and some of our brothers who are fleeing for their lives and struggling to get food and, and, and dodge, you know, dodging you know the shelling that's happening each day. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even pretend to know. But what I do know is that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All to say that it's all his anyway. And that everything that you've been given is is on loan to you. Everything you've been given has been given to you, trusted into your care to manage for God. And so when you think about stewardship as management, all of a sudden, you're not so easy to pay, to pay fast and loose with the stuff that God has given you. I'll put it a different way. My kids, I got three boys, and I got one on the way. He could pop out sometime tonight. I don't know. It's, I hope not, because we don't have the room ready yet. But three boys, and these guys are rambunctious, right? They like to fight. They'll come up and just hit me, and that's just a way of saying, hey, we, we're ready for some action. And so I throw them all over the room, and they go crashing into tables. They know us over at the ER. We've got our own room over there. Those are my boys, right? I'm Now, you bring your kids over. I want to get the roll of bubble wrap out of the closet and, and, and bubble wrap them just so nothing happens. I'm not throwing your kids around because I can't, I can't replace them. You know, that's not, that's not mine. You see what I'm saying? And so I got a guitars and all the stuff that's mine, I'll lay it on the cap. But when I borrow somebody else's stuff, when I got somebody else's stuff, I'm just more careful with it. And if you're responsible, you're just more careful with other people's stuff. Why? Because we're managers of this stuff. And so I told you there's two important components. I told you management is one, but the other one is investment. We're not just managing this stuff. We're not just watching it. We're just not trying to make sure none of it goes away. But we've also been, you know, if this passage teaches us anything, we're expected to invest God's stuff, his resources that he puts in our care. Put a different word, we're expected to make good use of what he's given Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven or invest it in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And all Jesus is saying is invest in things that are meaningful. Invest in things that have a kingdom interest And don't just go throwing God's resource anyplace. I can really unpack that, but I want to get the point. We're investors of God's stuff, not just uh, you know managing it, but we're supposed to be investing it. And if you're making good investments, then those investments bring back a good what? Return. A good return. And some of us are just poor stewards. And poor investors of what God has put in your care. And some of us are poor stewards and poor managers and poor investments simply because we're foolish. We're just foolish. And I don't know you, I know you don't wanna hear that about yourself, but that's honestly just the reality. We just, for some reason or other, we're just living very foolishly. Others of us are poor stewards, poor investors because we haven't had anybody teach us how to be good stewards. I haven't had Anybody sit us down and say God cares about this. And you've been wearing out the knees of your pants, praying for God to send a miracle and praying for your ship to come in and praying for your prayers to be answered. And, and, and some of you, the remedy to much of what ails you in your life is just some good, healthy Christian instruction about, you know, how to manage money and how to Uh, be a good steward of your resources. And so while I want to spend some time to do whether you're foolish or experiencing a bout of financial foolishness right now or you're simply ignorant and you don't know what's going on, I want to help you out uh, this morning by talking about three specific areas that we need to look at in order to get on the right track here. Three specific areas. And whenever I talk about uh, stewardship and financial freedom, financial fitness. I deal with these particular three areas. I want to deal with three areas by way of just being diagnostic uh, this morning, and then I'm going to give some practical tips as to how to begin this. Let me tell you also that you didn't get here overnight, and so don't expect one preacher to preach you out of this in one Sunday. I'm not going to allow you to put that pressure on me, okay? (laughs) <laughs> you, you walk up out of dysfunction the same way you walked into it, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And so don't put that pressure on me today. I, I just don't, I don't have all the answers, right? But we're going to be diagnostic this morning, and we're going to help us take a look at who we are. Um, and I want to do that by looking at three specific areas. The first area is our origins, where we come from. And I can really say this a different way. I could say our family of origin, because much of what you've learned and much of what you do naturally, oftentimes without thinking, what you value and what you think is cool, what you think is silly, all this stuff, you know, if we could trace all that stuff back, we trace it back to your family of origin. And this is especially true as it relates to your money. If you're asking, how did I get here? How is it that I'm just so hand-to-mouth all the time? Some of you look at your W-2s and you think, I made this much money? How on earth could I possibly make this much money and still be struggling? How did I get here? Why do I relate to money in the way that I do? Why am I so fearful? Why am I so materialistic? Why am I always keeping up with the Joneses? If you add and, and You know, sit down with those questions and wrestle with them. You might be able to trace it back to your family of origin. And to help you illustrate. Let me just tell you about my story. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, very humble, uh, you know, upbringing in terms of financial resource. And that's just a really nice way of saying we were poor. We didn't have much. And so, if you look at my parents' story, they grew up. You know, in the South, they were born in the South. My mother in Birmingham, my father somewhere in Mississippi. I don't know. I don't even think he knows. Uh, came to Chicago when they were young. And just really, you know, their parents were poor. And my parents, before they came to faith, many of you know that my parents are, you know, are church planters and they pastor church. My father's uh, going to be with the Lord, but they started the church when I was very young. But before they came to know Jesus, they, would, they, they, they lived a life of crime, they were career criminals easy, fast money, living a very criminal life until the Lord found them. And so I don't know if you know much about a criminal life, but it's not like you're not, you know, making all of this money selling drugs, you know, dealing with prostitution. And you're not just going to deposit that in, you know, your bank account. You're not, you know, cl- you know you're not claiming that on your, you know, at the, at the end of the year. This money comes easy and it goes. You don't save this, you don't store it, you, you you do your thing, and then you get to, and so you compound that with a very hand-to-mouth existence, like from very, like from day one where savings wasn't an issue, it's like we're living, you know, to eat, all that stuff, this is, these are the people who taught me about money. Now they weren't trying to cripple me uh, in terms of my financial future, they were just living their life and showing me what they had been shown. Now, if you really want to get deep with this, you just have to look at our heritage as as African Americans, right? I mean, go all the way back. You know, we were brought to this country uh, under the Work for Food program. Now, that's not what they called it. They called it slavery. And so you didn't get paid for that. You worked or you were beaten, and your payment for working was eat. And so this very hand-to-mouth existence, you you know, decades and decades of not working to earn a living, not working for money, not having to, you know, an opportunity to plan for your future, and then slavery is over, in its gradual sense, and all of these people generationally have been turned into an economy, a capitalistic society, where you make money and you earn, you're supposed to save, you're supposed to have all these sorts of things, and like... Millions of people had no grid for all this sorts of stuff. I mean, you got to go, go back, right? You got to go, go back. And so we're not just talking about your parents. We're talking about history and heritage and, and what's informed, how they relate to money and all these sorts of things. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that for some of us, it's so easy to talk about people who are impoverished. And my recommendation to you is that maybe you should just be quiet if you haven't walked that road. Maybe you should be quiet. Maybe you should ask more questions because it's more than just go get a job. It's more than stop spending that. It's more than don't be foolish. It's like we're talking about history. We're talking about heritage. And so this isn't just a black thing, but like this is like, you know, people who live in poverty. You ask them their story. If you ask them how they came to be poor, you will find that they got that from someplace. And they didn't get the helpful instruction, wisdom. Uh, that they needed in order to have a financial, uh, secure financial future. And so, and so when I look at my origins, I go, man, I was doomed from the start. And In my early adult lives, I didn't have a grid for spending. You're walking, I'm walking on campus, and somebody's like, you get this free T-shirt. All you have to do is sign up for a credit card. Well, that's, I mean, I don't want to lose money on this deal. I've got to sign up. You say, wait a second, you mean that I get to spend this money now, and I, I don't have to pay it back to the loan? Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Now I didn't get an enormous debt, but you know I got in over my head pretty quickly because I didn't, you know, nobody explained this to me how credit worked. Nobody explained how you save a portion of your income. Nobody explained that to me. Now, if you grew up that way, that just seems like a no-brainer. Well, you know, don't don't be foolish, right? But if you have somebody explain it to you, you can very easily get into a place where you get in over your head pretty, pretty. Quickly. And so it, it wasn't until I met my wife, um, and she came up in a very different way, uh, that I began to, you know, her life was almost like a reflective mirror for me. I saw, you know, she grew up very middle class. You know, they weren't rich, but uh, her father owns a business, and they were accustomed to saving and living within their means. They didn't live a sort of hand to mouth existence. And I just watched. One, she had money, you know. We were at the same age. She, she worked a job. That, I mean, didn't pay her a whole lot, but she had money. She had savings, and she had, you know, investments. I'm like, who does that? <laughs> she would challenge me about my spending, and she, you know, especially if we started, you know, talking about getting married. She wanted to look at the, you know, who I owed and this, that. And I was like, we will worry about that when we worry about that. She said, no, no, we need to deal with this. Um, and I thought she was trying to help me out, but I think she was trying to help herself out uh, because we were joining our resources. But I saw something in her that I had no grit for, and it took me a little while, but I, I like it. I liked it because we've been to, how long we've we been together, honey? You should know. When, <laughs> I, I'm testing her, see if she knows. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Bob said, "You should know that I do know that. 14 years, right?" married you know 11 or 12 of those i'm thankful right now that i met this woman i don't like it at the beginning because she, you know was challenging me all the time but uh, you know we don't owe anybody oh we owe our, our mortgage and maybe some late fees over at the family video but <laughs> we don't owe anybody that's because we, we had a plan. But, but, the, but, but if you ask her her story and her parents' story and her parents' parents' story, you know, we would trace health or dysfunction back to our origins. And so some of us, we've never asked the question, how did we get here? We never uh, asked the question, how, why, how did I become so socialized? And maybe you grew up in a family that was just like ridiculously envious or ridiculously materialistic and always wanted to fit in. And that was like, thing you could just tell that that drove your parents. If so-and-so got a car, then they got a car, even though they couldn't afford it. If somebody went to private school, then you had to go to private school just because you had to keep, and, and you, you say, my, my goodness, this is where I get this from. You can't begin to tackle any of this stuff unless you ask the Lord in a very natural, practical way, Lord, how did I get here? how did I get here? And so when I asked, you know, did some, you know, homework, how did I get here? It, it was just natural. It, it made sense. People who taught me didn't teach me well. People who taught me didn't teach me well. And many of us are here in that boat for some reason or other. Now, there are folks that are here today. You had good examples. You had a good, you know, start. But your question would be, what happened in my life? Or what, what was the turning point for me? Or where I had this great example, but all of a sudden I'm living so foolishly. I'm living so hand to mouth I'm so materialistic. I'm, I'm in over my head. That what happened? And some of you will, will have to reckon with those questions. I can't answer those questions with you. But if we don't wrestle with how we got here, we're never going to move past it. We're never going to move past it. And so if you grew up like me and you were hand to mouth, you got used to living with no cushion. That was normal for you. That struggle and that, you know, stress up until that need is met or that, you know, bill is alleviated and just going long stretches without paying down your debt because you simply don't have it. That's just, that's just normal uh, to you. You don't know anything better. On the other hand, if you didn't grow up hand to mouth, you've just grown accustomed to living within limits and to having excess All of these things matter. So the first step is for us to examine our origins. That's the first step. The second step is for us to examine uh, our margin. And so more and more often you're hearing this word margin uh, uh, come across the preaching podium here because i discovered several years ago that this is really where much of it breaks down for many of us. Uh, Where much of it breaks down for many of us. And margin, we've simply defined margin as the space between your load and your limit the space between your load and your limit put a different way the space between your income and your expenses and some of us have no space between our income and our expenses some of us have no space between our income and our exp- excuse me our expensive Expenses. And I, I'm just here to tell you what you probably already know is that life with no margin is a really hard life. Now, some of you don't perceive the hardness of your life or the difficulty of your life because you've just gotten so used to it. Um, but a life without margin is a really challenging existence. Um, and and, and you, you, will, you will never live the abundant life if you don't have margin in your life. Now, listen... I'm not talking about uh, wealth and riches and opulence, right? I just need to I just need to say that because so much so much wacky teaching has come from Christian pulpits about you know God expecting everybody to be wealthy and just if you just you know grab it you can you know blab it you can grab it just speak it and it's yours and this that and the other. That's not how this works. I'm not talking about everybody supposed to be rich. I'm talking about everybody has been given something. Some of us have been given much financial resources. Others of us have been given very little. Uh, you don't have to have a lot of money to have margin. One of the greatest financial advice I've ever received was live within your means. And even that doesn't get specific enough, and I'll say it this way, spend less than you earn. That's what it means to live within your means. Spend less than you earn. But if I just survey the room, right? How many of us would pass that test? That is to say, we take your monthly income and we look at what you spend on a month-to-month basis. The vast majority of us would probably come out upside down on that. Which means, by definition, we are not living within our means. This is like simple math. This isn't like crazy, like calculus or something. This is like Subtraction, you know, addition. And some of us, when we look at what we spend and we look at what we make, we are living foolishly because we've overextended ourselves. We have no margin. You have no margin. I heard a preacher several years ago put it this way, that you have to realize that you are living on a certain percentage of your income. I'll say that again. You are living on a certain percentage of your income. I'll say it this way. If you bring in, let's say, $1,000 a month, you are living on a certain percentage of that income, and based on the percentage of which you're living on a month-to-month basis, and even projected over an annual basis, what you have left over or what you're in the red will help you figure out what percentage of your income you're living on. Now, most people in this room wouldn't be able to answer within, you know, two minutes' time what percentage of their income they're living on. If I say, hey, what percentage of your income do you live on, on a monthly basis? Now, people who are sharp, people who are with it, they'll tell you. They might not get to the you know the actual number, but they could tell you the ballpark, uh, this is what we spend and this is what we save. And so when you look at income and expenses, if you're living below your means, excuse me, within your means, if you're spending less than you earn, then you have what we call excess income, which many people just float that to savings or investments or something like that. Many of us don't even know what excess income looks like. It would tap you on the shoulder and you wouldn't recognize it because you don't have any. Because you live your life all the way to the edge with no margin. And so one of the questions that I ask you today, and many of you won't have an answer, I ask you, what percentage of your income are you living on? You would be surprised at the people who earn really high salaries that have nothing in the bank, virtually nothing in the bank, are in debt up to their eyeballs and living life with no margin. We've got this sickness in our culture where we want to look richer than we are. But this sickness where we got it is like one up the next person and we got to we're stuff that we can't afford, and we got to live in places where it's not sustainable. we got to drive something to make a statement. I told you last week that, you know, one of the things that drive yourself crazy is to try to be somebody you're not and try to be impressive to other people that don't really matter in the grand scheme. And some of us have no margin because we're stuck in this way. And our lives are harder than they have to be. Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. Now, Jesus is talking to us about the Christian life, uh, but he's using words like bur- burden and he's using words like yoke simply because the Christian life was not designed to be easy. So we're not talking about an easy life. But we're talking about the abundant life that Jesus offers us. And basically what this means is that while the Christian life wasn't supposed to be easy, and for many of us it will be the most challenging thing that we do, but what Jesus is saying is that we need to be freeing ourselves from unnecessary burdens. Christian life is hard enough, man. If you're doing it right, it's it's one of the hardest things that you ever do. To love your neighbor as yourself despite how they might treat you. To live selflessly and to serve others in a culture that values significance and importance. I can go down the list. This is a challenging thing. But some of our lives are harder than they have to be because we haven't decided and figured out how to live this life according to wisdom. We haven't figured out how to have financial freedom. We haven't, you know, stopped looking over the fence on our tippy-toes and trying to be... Somebody that we're not trying to keep up with somebody who doesn't matter in the grand scheme, whose life is harder than it has to be just because we haven't gotten this under control. Jesus says, come to me. Lean in my direction. Everything you need is over here. Rest, peace, all this sort of stuff. But when we live our lives with no margin, we're complicating the good life that Jesus calls us to. You say, how? Well, because when you don't have margin, you're not generous. And if you're not generous, there's no way you can live the blessed life. And when you have no margin, you're forced to think about right now and you're forced to think about today at the expense of planning and looking down the road and maybe anticipating tomorrow's troubles poverty forces you to think about today what we're we going to eat today what we're we going to wear today the very things that jesus tells us not to worry about and should you get some money and should you land a high-paying job that doesn't mean you switch out of right now thinking it well, doesn't mean that all of a sudden you start planning and saving. It just simply means hey, we got more money to, 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 to live the life right now. And so all of a sudden, this, 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 this margin is bigger uh, than we might imagine. If you don't have any margin, it could very easily lead good, God fearing people to compromise, moral failure because your load is much higher than your limit and good people who would under normal circumstances not cheat on their taxes or not lie or speak up against that unethical thing that's happening at work because you're pressed with your load and you've exceeded your limit It, it, it gives room for compromise who am i talking to today Margin. We're diagnosing right now. Third diagnostic piece. We talked about um, our origins. We talked about our margin. Um, But it's helpful and necessary to examine our priorities. Our priorities. Your origins are dysfunction. And your margin is non-existent. You know, you could probably bet that your priorities are off. Say it again. If, if your origins are dysfunctional and your, your margin is non-existent, then you can probably guess that our priorities are off as well. Our priorities uh, deal with what's important in our life, what's important to us. Now, those have been shaped by your family of origin the whole deal. What's important to us? But our priorities are not just what's important. You hear me say this all the time. Our our priorities deal with the order that we put the important things. And so we've got this list of things that are important. We've got this group. But what our priorities do is we list those things in order of most importance. What's first? What's second? These, by the way, are great questions for you to ask yourself. What's first? And so I want to tell you uh, from a biblical standpoint what your priorities should be, but I just want you to just deal with, you know, right now what your priorities currently are. Because if you don't have margin, then your priorities are probably way out of order. What's first? We're talking about priorities. What's first? What do you do when you get paid? Like, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you think about? What's the first thing that you're planning to do with that paycheck? When you get your tax refund, even now, some of you have calculated it out. You're like, what am I going to do? I'm going to X, Y, Z. These are your priorities. The, the, the order in which you took those things off, you get that inheritance check. What do you do? What do you do first? When you hit the Powerball, like, what do you do first? When the Brinks truck, you know, swings by your house, Tom and Jerry style, and drops a, you know, bag of money in front of your door, like, what's the, what's the first thing you do? And then what's second? And then what's third? And what's fourth? And what's fifth? What's first? What are your priorities? Now, what do you think about, uh, while you think about what your priorities actually are, I'm going to tell you what they should be. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to jog through this real quick. I'll give you five priorities in order. First priority should be God. First priority should be God. And so I know this seems just sound like preacher talk. I know just like, here, another preacher talking about God. I know some of you have been hurt by money, you know, by church and money. You've seen the preacher living high, you know, and just doing all sorts of stuff with the money, driving fancy cars while the people struggle. And listen, listen I, I get that. And I apologize on behalf of my coworkers because that's the poor picture that you've seen, but you've still got to reckon with God's order. And the reality that it's all His, anyway. Now we're going to get into the specifics of giving to, to kingdom causes in the next couple weeks. I'm not going to tell you which week it's going to be, because I don't want you to try to avoid it. <laughs> then my first, you know, go-around. But God expects you to give and live generously to him and His stuff first. One of the, one of the surest signs that you understand that it's all His anyway is that you don't mind giving him some of it back if he asks. If I say, Lonnie, hold this money for me. Hold it. You can spend a little bit of it. Go get yourself a sandwich. You know, just hold it for me. Then I come back a day later and say, hey, Lonnie, let me get, uh, let me get 10 of that. And you, you reach back. <laughs> Clearly, you didn't understand the arrangement, Right? And so if we think of generosity to God and his kingdom causes in terms of God has loaned us something and he puts some things in place systematically to take the guesswork out of what we should be giving back to him, he puts some things in place systematically so that his house and his work and his efforts can be done in the earth and funded properly. If we have a problem with that, then we don't understand the arrangement. The Lord tells us, When he's given his people the instruction as to how to live, the rules for life, one of the first things he says is, put no other gods before me. In other words, in the scheme of priorities for your life, when you tally that out, if there's anything ever on the list above me, then you've got it wrong. And one of the surest signs that you've gotten this right, and one of the surest signs that you've gotten this wrong, is how you respond when the Lord asks for some of his money back. Seek the kingdom first. Give to the kingdom first. Kingdom causes first. Of course, this includes the local church. Again, I don't unpack this too much because we're going to hit it later. But it certainly means the things that are important to God. There are thousands of organizations around the world that are worthy of this. Some of you step over people on the way to work every day. That's a kingdom cause. That's something that God calls calls valuable. We said the other day that Jesus says that you've done it to the least of these. You've done it to many. Jesus says, I welcome you into eternal life because when I was poor, you fed me. When I was hungry, you, you, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to see me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. They said, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you in need? When did we ever see you naked? Jesus says, when you've, when you've helped the least of these, when you've given, when you've sowed into kingdom causes, things that are important to me and people that are important to me, particularly those... That are under the boot of life you've given unto me. What do you do first? Because it's all his anyway. More on that later. But second is savings. And some of you are like, can you give me a definition for that? I don't what, what does that word mean? Savings? What is it? Savings. Margin. Listen, you shouldn't need a miracle every month you shouldn't have to rally the intercessors for rent like every month but well, some people are in dire straits and sometimes you enter the season of life Well, that's that's the reality and just like you know it's like that's what we do as a community we rally and we help because we all have been you know we've been there but this savings is a big deal For many, many reasons, but without savings, without a plan for the future, without some margin, you can very easily become a burden. And I don't even feel right saying it because, like, in the spirit of Christian community, like, you're supposed to help, but, like, you could very easily become a burden, an unnecessary burden to your family, an unnecessary burden to the people that care about you, who would go without rather than see you struggle. But you know, at some point, the Lord speaks to our hearts and says, Hey, how much of this can we prevent? I mean, how many shoes, you know, do you need? How many games and how many trips and all this sort of stuff, especially when your basic needs have gone unmet? Like, this is a big deal. Why? It's biblical to plan for the future. I'm talking about Retirement. Some, some of you uh, work in companies where they do, uh, you know, what are those match things where you, if you contribute this they'll like, why wouldn't you do that? A government encourages investing, right? Just that they won't penalize you, right? If you, you know, if you put some money toward those things. I love this passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 6. It's, I mean, it's like a smack to the face, particularly if you haven't gotten this right. So take a lesson from the ant, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though you have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Who does this apply to? Now, this has many applications, but... For those of us who haven't bothered to squirrel away some resource for a rainy day, to to live within a budget that affords us the luxury of some margin so that we are not burdening ourselves and having unnecessary burdens in our own life. For those of you who get this, you know that an emergency fund is, is, is helpful, if not necessary, if you have the means. Saving for your kids' college. Saving for retirement, having adequate insurance, all these things are really, really, really important. One of the things that my wife and I have been asking ourselves uh, over the last couple of years is, what, what, what is our zero? Some of you are familiar with that question. Basically, our zero is not actually zero, like no money, but we say this amount of money is what we would consider our zero, This amount of money in savings, this amount of money in a bank, and we've even, you know, we we have to think this way as we steward this public trust of money and resource that you give to this church. What is a dollar amount that we won't go under unless it's it's a dire emergency? That's like our zero. That ensures that we are working towards something with our savings. That ensures that we've built in margin. We don't touch that money unless somebody's dying or something. Talking about savings. Talking about savings. I think this is number two on the list. Number three simply is government. Pay your taxes. Don't cheat the government because they will get you. They will get you. Them and the student loan people, they will find you. (laughs) No, pay your fair share of taxes. Don't try to avoid paying the taxes that you owe. Don't be claiming kids that aren't real dependents. I mean, this is. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time here. Some of you, you know who you are. Fourth, and this is really important. These are in order, by the way. Your debt. Your debt. One, you should avoid debt, right? Um, But I'll say this, that God gets no glory out of your life just drowning in debt. God gets no glory out of that. If you want to destroy margin in your life. Just get wacky with with debt. Just completely abandon any measure of delayed gratification as it relates to your lines of credit and the stuff that you acquire. Some of you are living with crushing debt. Crushing debt. And it's your debt that's really robbing you of the abundant life. It's limited your options relationally. Because people want to know, man. Listen. they want to know You marry somebody, you're marrying like all of them, past, present, and future. And you could be fine as, you know, whatever. But some smart person might pass on you because of the debt that you've amassed. I might say something about you that you might not intend to say. Your credit worthiness, your good name is ruined when you don't pay what you owe. And some of you have hospital bills, your mortgage, your student loans, car payments, all this consumer debt. And it, it crushes you, it limits your options relation. It limits your options vocationally because they're checking credit histories now because it says something about you. Some of you can't get a house, can't get a car, or if you get a loan, it's like ridiculous, right? say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, pay who you owe. Now, before I say that, I say, avoid unnecessary debt if you can, but pay who you owe. It's staggering to me how many Christians are walking away from their mortgages just because it's financially advantageous to do so. Like getting other places, but just saying, I don't want to pay that anymore. That's too much. Now, I know this rock's going to hit somebody in the room. I didn't come to get, you know, any Christmas cards today. I came to preach you out of this hole that you're in. And some of you have been robbing God of an opportunity to bless you because you haven't made good on your commitments to pay who you owe. will let that sit for a little bit. When you went and got that big old TV that you didn't need, maybe you didn't take the time to read what the words said on there, but that says, hey, I will pay this back. And you got that big old house that was too much for you when you bought it. The words that you signed on that paper was, I will pay this back. You're out there, you know, popping tags and, you know. I don't know if they still say that. Um... <laughs> That means taking tags off of new items. you shopping, right? You're supposed to pay that back. To your hurt, you're supposed to pay that back. So pay who you owe. It's financially smart. It's an e. You know, you know, debt is an easy way to compound your debt, to ruin your name, to ruin your Christian witness, and it robs you of creditworthiness, and it stunts your future. Not to mention the fact it's a matter of integrity. Pay your debts. We're still going in order. And after you paid your debts, last on the list is yourself. Now if you work through all those things, get have something nice. So <laughs> <laughs> don't be crazy about it, because we still we need some margin. You still have a zero to be, you know, to be mindful of, but get yourself something nice. I love how people who've got their finances in order. They just have to, you know, want to go buy a car. Listen, we need a new car. The car broke down. Okay. You just go buy one. Even if you can't buy it outright, they've got good enough credit. they got enough for a down payment. I just love it. It's amazing how this works. And so it's, it's really hard to d- discipline yourself, to put these things in the right order if you haven't had good example, if you don't have any muscle memory for that, if you haven't gotten accustomed to that. It's really hard. But trust me, take it from me. On the other side of this thing, thanks to some help, but my darling wife, it's a really sweet deal. I mean, what happens? You train yourself, you say no. You see something shiny, you go, oh, Man, I don't need that. I got kids and they're gonna wanna go to school one day. But what's our problem? Our problem is that some of us, all these things make our list. They're just not in this order. So put up the right order, please. That's the right order. Here's our problem. Next slide. Just flip it. And this is where many of us live. <laughs> some of us laugh. Some of us nervously laugh. Others of us go, oh, my goodness, that's me. You get paid. Myself, What am I going to get? I mean, you know, then it's pay you debt and government. Then if I have something left over, I'll, I'll save. And if I have something left over, what's that on the bottom? I can't even. Oh, if I have something left over, I throw a few coins toward the church. Toward God's causes. And you wonder why life doesn't work. And you wonder why you're you're not living the abundant, blessed life. You wonder why. And I know I'm taking more time than I'm supposed to take this morning, but this is this is how many of us live. And some of us are with it enough and love God enough, we put God first. And we've been doing that for 40 years. And we're still in the mess. And it's not that the Lord has abandoned you. It's not that the Lord is, 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 is lacking keeping his promises. It's just that the Lord also values that those other four things be in order as well. And somebody needs to hear that because you've been faithful to God. You've been giving. And you still wonder why you're a mess? The Lord would just gently say to you, son, gently say to you, daughter, the other things are important as well. Where are you today, worship team? You can come quickly. Where are you today? Some of you say, "I'm good." I mean, you you checked out at the beginning. You're playing games on your phone because you're good. You've been good for a while. And you are say, "Great." Right? But others, if, you were, if you're not in a good place, you say, what do I need to do? Well, real quickly, this is what you need to do. You need to invite Jesus into this journey. I know money doesn't seem like a very spiritual thing. I know you like to hold up in your, you know, in your, in your prayer closet with your prayer shawl and do all the holy things. But why don't we assign some measure of spirituality to how we steward our resources? Because if you look back at that story, it has eternal consequences whether you get this wrong or right. For those who who have done this well, Jesus says, you know, come and party. Let's celebrate. For those who get this wrong, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and that's not a good thing. Usually in Scripture that is a a euphemism for hell and perdition, eternal damnation. He said, you mean to tell me if I don't, you know, steward my money right, like I I would forfeit my soul? Well, maybe. But it speaks to how seriously uh, God takes how we manage his stuff. Eternal consequences. And so we invite Jesus into this journey. We make this a spiritual thing. Next, we find out exactly where we are. We take these diagnostic tools and we get busy figuring out who we are and where we are. And we start there. Third, many of us just need to get some help. You need to get some help. You need to talk to somebody who, who, who understands this. And somebody, that doesn't mean hiring somebody to, to get this done for you. It might mean finding somebody in this building that gets this, that can sit down with you. I know several people have done that. I don't know if Pastor David often uh, does that sits down with people. Uh, he's really good money he and his wife really good money manager and counsel and disciple people through that i'm not volunteering his services i'm just trying to say that within this room are people who get this and who are doing this right and they might be able to disciple you and 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 bring some accountability to your life in ways that you cannot get on your own that's all i'm saying others of you are in deep enough debt and deep enough trouble where you need to actually pay a professional to help you get out and make an investment in getting out and so we're talking about accountability, we're talking about making a plan. Listen, do something and start right away. God's plan for you is not to be rich necessarily, but his plan for you is to live the abundant life and not struggle and scrape through. That will come for many of us for being good stewards of what God has given us. My time is gone. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this truth. Thank you so much that you don't leave us just sort of wondering what to do. You speak hard truth to us so that we can engage you and we can respond to you and we can live this life in the way that is pleasing to you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into our finances. We invite you into the places where we've erred and made mistakes. We're not too proud to ask for your forgiveness and for your uh, rehabilitation here, Lord. We know that you can reach back to our origins and, and cut the ties and break the generational curses and break the poor instruction and the poor examples that we receive so that we can be healthy and whole and live this life for you. We surrender our way unto you. Teach us. Bring us freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.